It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's January 19th. I'm Kelly Reese. This is your KVMR Friday Evening News Magazine. Rain is headed our way and with it comes a flood watch. We've got the latest and forecast details from the National Weather Service along with info from Nevada County's Office of Emergency Services on how these winter storms will affect us locally. Moving from the weather to another potentially stormy subject, economics. Inflation, a word that's tossed around a lot. Everyone's got an opinion on its cause and effect, which run the gambit from blaming political parties to entire generations. But what do the experts think of our current inflation statistics? Q. KVMR's Paul Emery and retired Federal Reserve economist Gary Zimmerman with this week's economic report. Then, KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza speaks with Wild and Scenic Film Festival Director Livia Campos de Menizij. The annual five-day festival, which kicks off February 15th, has been, in their words, inspiring environmental activism through film for more than two decades. Keep it tuned to hear what this year's Wild and Scenic Film Fest has in store. And stick around for the Friday News Magazine's finale with Molly Fisk. Molly gives you an inside look at the poet's process, which has a lot to do with not just what, but where she's writing. That's all up ahead. Your Friday News Magazine starts now. We'll start off with details about this weekend's stormy weather. If you happen to be in Nevada County, you know most of today was blue skies and relatively warm temperatures. But don't be deceived. Winter weather is upon us. KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza joins us with details on what we can expect from this latest bout of winter storms and how we should prepare. Despite the mild weather we experienced today, meteorologists with the National Weather Service are expecting two separate storms to impact our region this weekend. I reached out to Nevada County Office of Emergency Services Program Manager Paul Cummings to learn how the county is preparing. So there is an active winter storm watch that goes into effect this evening at 10 o'clock and then carries all the way through Tuesday at approximately 1 a.m. And then there's a flood watch that's in effect that will uh, carry through mainly Sunday night into Monday afternoon. The watch just means get ready, be prepared for the potential of these conditions. And then a warning means there's like an 80% chance of them happening and that they're imminent. And so I would expect over the next two days, these two watches become warnings. They're actually calling for heavy, wet snow that will be as low as 6,000 feet. And then there's winds that are up to 45 miles an hour that could bring down trees in your area. And the rain they're calling for, especially Sunday night through Monday morning, as high as six inches of rain, which I know is hard for folks to maybe think about here. And I know that when you look at your weather app or maybe you go to different sites, you'll see that these values change. They could be as low as one inch. They could be as high as this four to six inches that I'm talking about. And so right now with us still being a couple of days out from the real intense part of these back-to-back storms that are going to be hitting us over the next two days, we're going to err on the side of caution and make sure that our residents are as ready as possible. And how is the county doing that? What, what steps are being taken? The county has no-cost sand for uh, Nevada County residents and for sites for residents to pick up. Just bring your shovel. You do need to bring your own sandbag. And the four sites are going to be at the Nevada County Warehouse located on Highway 49 in East Broad. There's the Penn Valley Fire Station on Spencerville Road. 
the North San Juan Community Hall on Reservoir Street in North San Juan, and then the Higgins Fire Department located on Combi Road. So again, you can show up with your vehicle, bring your own shovel, your own sandbags and load up. And the point of this is really to mitigate the potential flooding that we're going to see this weekend with the flood watch that has been issued by the National Weather Service. Okay. Free sand. Uh, but where can people get the sandbags themselves? So um, if residents are looking for sandbags, they can go to uh, some of the local hardware stores we recommend, like BNC Hardware, A to Z, Hills Flat. Just call ahead, make sure that they have what you need. Understand that this time of year, they might quickly be sold out. A good reason to maybe have them ahead of time if you live on a piece of property that's prone to flooding. We're also encouraging residents to just make sure that they, they do all the normal things that they've done up to this point every year to prepare for winter weather. So that might mean topping off your gas tank, checking your generator, making sure that you have a flashlight with batteries in the event the power goes out, making sure you have an alternate way to heat your home, like firewood, if, if that's something that you can do, making sure your cell phone's charged, checking on your neighbors, and make sure that you have enough food and water to last you for a couple of days. Thank you very much for the information, Paul. Thanks, Claudio. Take care. That was Paul Cummings, Nevada County Office of Emergency Services Program Manager. Now let's take a closer look at your weekend forecast from the National Weather Service. As we just heard, it's time to break out that umbrella. A series of warm weather systems brings heavy rain our way. The biggest downpour is expected Sunday night and early Monday morning. For those in Nevada City and Grass Valley, tonight showers mainly after 8 p.m. with a low around 43 degrees. Saturday, showers with a high near 47. Saturday night will have showers and a low around 42 degrees. Sunday, showers with a high near 49. Sunday night sees showers continue with a low around 44 degrees. For Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight rain and snow after 10 p.m. with a low around 30 degrees. Saturday, rain and snow likely before 1 p.m., turning to all snow. And Saturday night sees more snow with a low around 29 degrees. Sunday, snow before 10 a.m. with a high near 39. Sunday night sees a mix of rain and snow with a low around 30 degrees. For Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight showers with a steady temperature around 56 degrees. Saturday, showers and possibly a thunderstorm with a high near 59. Saturday night, showers with a low around 52 degrees. Sunday, more showers with a high near 59. Sunday night sees showers with a low around 53 degrees. And for Placerville and Angels Camp, tonight, showers mainly after 8 p.m. with a low around 47 degrees. Saturday, showers with a high near 52 and gusts up to 29 miles per hour. Saturday night sees showers with a low around 45 degrees. Sunday, showers with a high near 53. Sunday night, yep, you guessed it, showers and a low around 47 degrees. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Sure, the Federal Reserve may not be churning out New York Times bestsellers, but they have published something that's garnering a lot of attention. Lucky for us, we've retired Federal Reserve economist Gary Zimmerman and KVMR's Paul Emery to walk us through everything we need to know when it comes to the U.S. economy in this week's Economic Report, up next. Well, hello, Gary. Um, let's start today with a question about inflation. 
In particular, how do economists measure inflation anyway? Well, Paul, inflation is an increase in the general or overall level of prices of goods and services for what we call a basket of goods and services that we consume over a period of time like a year. And so economists like to compare inflation as an annual rate of change in, in percent. So an inflation rate of, say, 4% would mean that the overall cost of the basket of goods you purchased last year for $1 would cost $1.04 this year. So, you know, an inflation is a rising price level, you know, question it's how much is it rising each year um so they don't go back down again you know that unless you have something called deflation and you know deflation is the opposite that's a falling overall price level and that you typically only see in a severe recession so that's really <laughs> bad news or a depression <laughs> or, or a depression yes yeah. it's even worse than a depression and cha changes in the inflation rate or the rate of increase in the overall price level are, are measured in, se in several ways. You know, the two most common measures are the consumer price index or CPI that's calculated monthly by the Bureau of Labor Statistics and the personal consumption expenditure price index or PCE that's calculated by the Bureau of Economic Analysis. Living increases, you know, especially notable within the case of Social Security benefits. Well, Gary, uh, what are the recent inflation statistics telling us about inflation and how much did the inflation rates actually fall in 2023 <laughs> compared to 2022? Okay, well, the, the Consumer Price Index uh, measures inflation, again, for a basket of goods and services of consumer products. And in 2023, it rose at a 3.3% annual rate, according to the, the current data, um, which may be revised a little bit up or down. Um, about half, that 3.3% that annual rate is about half of the 6.4% rate of increase it recorded in 2022. So that's very good news on the CPI. Uh, the Fed uses an alternative measure of inflation, the one, uh, the personal consumption expenditures price index, when it sets its 2% inflation rate goal. Um, you know, and again, that's another measure based on prices consumers pay for a set of goods and services. We will have a new PCE um, inflation data point that's out next week. But, you know, through November of 2023, the that inflation rate rose at a 2.6% over the prior 12 months, 2.6% uh, at an annual rate. And again, that's well below its 5.9% um, annual rate of increase um, in the same for the same basket of goods and services in 2022. So again, good good news from that that indicator as well so you know while inflation has been falling it just isn't down to the two percent a year inflation rate yet that fed policymakers would like to see and really they don't expect to see that to happen it'll get close to that in 2025 by year in 2025 and you know probably hit that by you know year in 2026 according to their recent projections well on a side topic uh uh, politically, uh, opponents of incumbents love to see the economy go bad before the election. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I've heard that. <laughs> as you've heard that before. Um, yep. Okay, Gary, uh, don't economists also follow something called core inflation? That's C-O-R-E. 
Yes, and core inflation tends to be less volatile um, over short periods of time. So if you plot the core inflation rate and the overall inflation rate on a chart, the, the core inflation rate will show fewer spikes and slumps than the overall inflation rate. That's the core inflation rate can be a more useful tool for evaluating emerging trends in inflation. Well, uh, why is the core inflation rate more stable? Well, this is a, this is a uh, only this is an answer that only economists can can appreciate. Uh, core inflation for either the CPI or the PCE price index exhibits more stable inflation because two very volatile but important components, uh, food and energy prices, are not included in the core inflation data. You know, of course, we're all aware of you know higher food and energy prices every time we go to the store or fill up the car, uh, but they they bounce up and down a lot and they they tend to move the indicators. Um, but over a long period of time, both the core and the overall numbers tend to move pretty closely together. Okay, let's shift gears, Gary. Uh, this week, the Federal Reserve published the Beige Book, and it has been in the news. What is that survey based on, and how is it used? And Gary, <laughs> why is it called that? The survey is known as the Beige Book because the cover is beige, you know, remember, we're talking about economists here, uh, <laughs> not designers. Uh, the Beige Book is released two weeks before each of the eight um, regularly scheduled monetary policy meetings the whole Fed holds each year. And that next meeting is at the end of January. So it's coming right up. You know, and at, at that at those meetings, the policymakers are evaluating data on economic and financial conditions and risks and outlooks to the economy, what's the appropriate monetary policy for the economy. They're likely debating that, of course. Um, and they, you know, based on information, including the available data and the surveys they have. And this particular survey um, is is very current. Well, Gary, do you personally look at that survey and do you think it's useful? Oh, yes. I, I use particularly the national summary all of the time. The, the Beige Book Survey, you know, I think is especially useful because it is conducted by each of the 12 Federal Reserve Banks, and it's conducted only three weeks before the policy meeting. So it's very up to date, very current. Um, and, and then the summaries from each of the 12 regional reserve banks are often are, are then used to prepare a, a national summary. So, you know, again, the Beige Book information is very current, just just a week old. Um, so, Gary, how many contacts might participate in the survey? Is it a small group or, or how large is it? And why is it a useful tool for the Fed as it's published? Well, uh, but yeah, uh, the national and regional survey results are published and available on the Federal Reserve Board website. Um, if you go out and text you know, <laughs> Google um, Beige book. The national results typically would be based on the survey comments from hundreds of contacts across the nation. And those comments can provide you know, up-to-date insights into economic conditions and, and the industries where these you know, contacts work, at a firms, um, as they would have assessments of current economic and financial conditions and expected future conditions, you know, and, and one of the other advantages of this survey is because it's, you know, done it, you know, just before the meeting is that they, the reserve banks can actually tailor the questions to, you know, economic concerns or conditions. And again, you know, the beige book 
was published uh, that was published this week was conducted just a week ago. So it is very up to date in terms of the available anecdotal information on the economy. Um, and we'll, you know, we won't be getting the actual data for for weeks in some cases or months. Okay, Gary, one more question. I suppose you've already looked at this week's beige book. What struck <laughs> you about this survey? How is the economy actually doing? Well, Paul, overall, I'd say it suggests that the uh, economy may have slowed down a little bit from the more rapid pace it was expanding at, at in the second half of 2023. And that's both good news and bad news. The The economy really couldn't continue to grow as fast as it had been in the last half of 2023 without likely causing the inflation rate to start rising again. So the, the good news is that the slower growth makes for a a soft landing with the inflation rate continuing to fall and the economy avoiding a recession and continuing to grow. Um, and that's, you know, that's consistent. We've seen that, you know, the inflation rate has generally been down, trending down and the beige book results, you know, support that assessment. Labor markets are generally tight. And again, there might be a little, some signs of um, loosening up, but, uh, you know, beige book is looking at labor markets is still tight. So, you know, overall, the January 2024 beige book anecdotal survey results are telling a pretty similar story to what we've been seeing in the trends in the economic statistics and in recent private forecasts, you know, slowing inflation, no recession, soft landing. So, it's useful. Thanks, Gary. Thanks a lot. And talk to you in a couple of weeks. Okay. Thank you, Paul. I've been speaking with KVMR's money guy, Gary Zimmerman, <laughs> about the economy. Gary Zimmerman is a retired senior economist for the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco and is currently a visiting professor at the Vienna University of Economics and Business in Austria. He teaches courses in economics and finance. Coming up, KVMR News Director Claudio Mendonza speaks with Wild and Scenic Film Festival Director Livia Campos de Menizig. The two discuss the festival's origins and what's to come this February when the festival kicks off its 22nd year. The Wild and Scenic Film Festival this year is the 22nd? The 22nd, yes. That's a long time. Mm-hmm. There are still people that have never heard of the Wild and Scenic Film Festival. And for those people, could you describe what it is? Sure. So the Wild and Scenic Film Festival is produced by the South Uber River Citizens League Circle, which is a nonprofit here um, working since the 80s to restore and protect the Uber River watershed. And in 2003, they won the protection of 39 miles of the Yuba River and decided to celebrate that with the Night of Films. And this Night of Films later became what we have today, a five-day celebration of environmental and eco-adventure films. We have people coming from all over the world. Some filmmakers are coming from Taiwan, from Europe, several places, and from all around the country. And we also have attendees um, from this area and also other places coming to celebrate social impact films, environmental films. Moreover, we have free workshops throughout the weekend, family-friendly program, an art exhibition, all to celebrate the environment and ensure that people 
talk about the issues that we discuss on screen, the filmmakers are bringing, um, have intimate connection with activists and find a way to um, make this a better world. Is it fair to call it an advocacy-based film festival? Is that fair? Yes. Uh huh. Our tagline is where activism gets inspired. So we believe that films are a way to make people think about different kinds of subjects. Um, they can be environmental justice or how we protect the national parks to make sure that future generations can be there and also enjoy the beauty that's around us. And sometimes I would say that 80, 90% of our films are documentaries, but we also present narrative films. That's a way to bring a different audience, for example, because the subject matter in the end, as they leave the theater, oh, that was an interesting, it was not only like the comedy, but what that comedy makes me think about um, an environmental subject. I want to ask you about your thoughts on the Wild and Scenic Film Festival's impact on Nevada County in particular. What do you think they are? Mm, one of the things that they decide, why they decided to have this festival during the winter is because traditionally this is uh, a slower time period for our businesses here. So the importance to have the festival during the winter is to bring people to this area to make sure that our restaurants, our shops keep vibrant during this time. And also the mission of Circle is to unite the community to protect the Yuba River watershed. And what better ways to unite a community than going to the theater, um, watching a good film, and then talking about it at a workshop or at a panel or, or even in line when you're talking to another person and ask, what, what films have you watched? Livia, you're the festival director. Tell me about your connection to environmental films. It sounds like it's a, it's a passion of yours. It is, yes. I always loved um, social impact films. I moved to the United States in 2015. I'm originally from Brazil, Sao Paulo, and I moved here to go to grad school my bachelor's in, in international relations. And I always believe that films um, is a good tool to make people think about the several issues that we have in the world and how to, to solve them. Films inspire people to, to make a change. So I always wanted to work in, in the social impact film space and worked at different film festivals, produced some films um, also with this thematic or social impact in the background. And then in the pandemic, we were living remote and they were looking for a festival director here. Um, so learning more about the, the festival and the mission and how it is connected to environmental issues and social issues, I thought, oh, this is the perfect, it's like a dream come true. And then I'm here. Do you choose the films? How, how are films chosen for screening at the Wild and Scenic Film Festival? So we open submissions every April and then people submit their films to us. And we also go to other film festivals to check out what they're playing. Um, we have a program committee, we call them, and they pre-screen all the films. Each film is um, seen by at least three different persons. 
because we want to have different perspectives. This is not the Livia's Wild and Scenic Film Festival, right? So I want to make sure that films that touch me are also touching other people. Um, but in the end of the day, yeah, I'm the creative director and the head of programming. So I choose all the films that are playing here. It's a big responsibility. It is, yes. <laughs> and it, it is really hard because sometimes I have to cut films that I really liked but we don't have space to play them all, right? It's just like five days, three sessions a day. Uh, we cannot play all the films. Do you have a particular favorite from this year? Oh, this is a hard question. Um, there is an incredible film playing at the Nevada Theater um, Saturday evening, and it's called Out There, A National Park Story. And this was the first film that I programmed. I watched this film. They submitted early, like in April, May. And I watched this film. And sometimes it takes time for me to choose the, the films that will be playing. And this one was like, yes, it's, it's in my, my list of films that we're playing. It's an incredible story. These two young men decide to during the, the, the centenary of the national park system, they decide to go on a road trip of sorts to visit several national parks. And they talk to people throughout their road trip, like one person who has been working in the national park since he was a young guy. And now he's like 80 something and, and he's still there. A photographer who's been photographing the, the national parks for many years. And there is also a connection between um, one of the, the main subjects and his uh, grandpa. So it's like, it's a, it's a family-friendly film, very well done, a good, good feel kind of film, great for a Saturday night. And that was called Out There. Out There, a national park story. Great. My guest today has been Livia Campos de Menezes. She's the festival director for the Wild and Scenic Film Festival, which the 22nd annual will be right here in Nevada City beginning Thursday, February 15th and stretching all the way into the 19th. Livia, it's been a real pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me here. It was a pleasure meeting you and talking to your audience. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk. Observations from a Working Poet. The playwright David Mamet once wrote a book called Writing in Restaurants, which I remember nothing about except that great title. It appealed to me because that's what I did when I began writing, traipsed down the hill from my tiny house in a beach town to the only restaurant open for breakfast, ate a couple of poached eggs, and wrote poem after poem. Not everyone is willing to do this, but I'm the oldest of four and did my homework at the kitchen table, the square roots and export crops of Nicaragua mingling with sounds of family conversation, the dishwasher's gurgle, and Neil Young on the stereo. In my memory, it was always raining. If I stay home to write, my brain likes to remind me of all the things I should be doing instead, changing burned-out light bulbs, working on my taxes, and it won't settle down. The din of a restaurant, with its random comforting noises and nothing I need to worry about personally, helps me get my pen onto that blank page. 
The white noise of a busy place is perfectly balanced against the chatter in my head, and they cancel each other out. I once read an article about everyone's need to have a third place, not home and not work, where they could go and feel comfortable and accepted, a place to belong. Kind of like Tokyo's Midnight Diner, if you discovered that show on Netflix during the pandemic. I think bars have functioned this way since the first tavern was invented, and libraries, donut shops, regular chess games and public parks. I like imagining people huddled around stoves in the general stores of the 19th century American West, warming themselves and swapping stories before heading back into their cold, hard-working lives. Or the barbershops of the 30s and 40s, like the one Wendell Berry conjured in his wonderful novel, Jaber Crow. A third place is where you catch up with your community, get the latest gossip, find someone to buy your pickup, or maybe even foment a little revolution. Everyone knows you won't be there on Thursdays because that's the night you play poker with your mom at the rest home. Writing in restaurants functions more like a fourth place for me. I want it warm and friendly, but I'm looking for somewhere my friends rarely go so I can actually get a little work done. In a small town, this isn't easy to find, and for a while I was reduced to writing at the International House of Pancakes, which did nothing for my poetry. But I think I found my spot. The prices are low, the coffee's hot, and at the right time of day I can take over a foretop and spread my notebooks out. If you should happen to see me there, do me a favor and look the other way. I'll catch up with you later at our usual place. And don't worry, I'll tell you everything. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast for this Friday, January 19th. KVMR gets support from generous listeners like you and Dignity Health, providing a comprehensive range of medical expertise with doctors and hospitals focused on diagnosis and treatment from minor health concerns to more complex conditions. Details at DignityHealth.org slash rlocations. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for tuning in to your Friday News Magazine. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Have a great and hopefully not-too-wet weekend. <laughs>